Welcome to episode 126 of the Search with Candor podcast, recorded on Friday the 27th of August 2021. My name is Mark Williams-Cook, and today I'm bringing you the next edition of our SEO for e-commerce series with Nathan Lomax from Quickfire Digital, who are a Shopify specialist agency. So we've had a few of these now on the podcast, and in this episode we're discussing page speed, or rather performance, and SEO. We cover the common mistakes like people making their sites drown in hundreds of plugins and go into a little bit of detail about Core Web Vitals, how important they are or aren't, how you can measure them and of course how you can go about improving them. Before we kick that off I want to tell you this podcast is kindly sponsored by our friends at Sitebulb. Sitebulb, if you haven't heard of it, is a desktop based Windows and Mac SEO auditing tool and This week, I actually got an email from a friend of mine. They actually, many, many years ago, used to be an SEO client. They're working in e-commerce now. They're a very, very accomplished digital marketer. And I got this message from them saying, Hi, Mark, how's the UK? Just wanted to let you know and feel free to pass it on to Sitebulb, which I'll do. Hopefully, they're listening. Them sponsoring Search With Canada podcast and your glowing endorsement got me to use it as a trial, and now I love it couldn't do without it and have become a paying member. Have also started recommending it to others down here in Australia. Now, this kind of surprised me because this person, as I said, is a very accomplished digital marketer. They know their SEO inside and out and they hadn't tried Sitebulb. And as you know, if you've listened to the podcast, I've used Sitebulb myself for years. We've used it in the agency. It's one of our main go-to tools. I think For what they do, there isn't a desktop tool that does it better. And it just still really surprises me when there's these really experienced marketers that obviously like many of us do, we get into our groove of using certain tools that haven't tried Sitebulb. So this is what I'm going to ask you. If you haven't tried it, do go to sitebulb.com forward slash SWC. There's literally no downside. You don't have to enter payment information. It's a free trial. So if you don't like it, you just delete it. But if you haven't used it, I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. So it's sitebulb.com forward slash SWC. Good morning and welcome to the next in line of episodes with myself, Nathan Lomax from Quickfire Digital and Mark Williams-Cook from Candor. Good morning, Mark. How are you? Hi, Nathan. Good, thank you. Thanks for having me back yet again. (laughs) No problem at all. Becoming quite the habit. Now, this morning, we're going to be talking in part five of the series around page speed and experience. And this is something we are often messaged about or asked about. And I thought, well, why not just address it head on and tackle some of those topics that come up? So usual format for those that are joining us in the audience. Please do ask your questions as you go. We will get through as many as we possibly can in the 45 minutes to an hour that we've got together this morning. Now I'm going to start, Mark, with page speed. It's one of the most talked about aspects of websites and every quote or proposal we get in, one of the main things on the brief is always, what can you guarantee about page speed and why is it so important? So let's start with that very question. Why is page speed so important? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. And I think it's interesting because I'm going to be really picky here. I think some people say page speed and they mean 
performance and some people mean performance and they mean page speed and both you know people use terminology for different things but they're they're not the same so if we're going to talk about page speed we'll end up talking about core web vitals and stuff and that's all about performance so page speed is you know looking at how long it takes a web page to load and it's not even that simple because again when we talk about core web vitals we're actually going to talk about perceived speed which is when the user kind of feels things are loaded and when they're satisfied versus when the whole page is finished loading so you can you can already see we scratch the surface and it's like oh it's not quite as simple as how long does it take um to you know for this page to load the reason i think it's so important is it's a universal uh shared experience or a universal shared pain everyone understands what page speed is as a concept or performance is as a concept everyone's had that experience where you know they've a website's had the audacity to make them wait more than one second for something to load and they click off and go somewhere else. Um, and it's something that's constantly evolving. Expectations are constantly increasing in terms of page speed. You know, I remember trying to use like WAP internet on a Nokia and I was like majorly impressed that pages were loading in like 20 seconds and it was just like text. And now, you know, I'm annoyed if a whole e-com site doesn't load pretty much instantly. Um, from, from the business point of view though, um, it dramatically impacts your your bottom line. So there's a there's a really great website if people haven't seen it, which is called wpostats.com and it's web uh, performance optimization stats. And they just give very short snippets of real life case studies of when companies have improved performance and the impact it's had. So I, I pulled off a couple here because I, I put some actually like you in a, in a proposal um, a few days ago. So Vodafone increased their page speed by 30%. And that sounds a lot, but it's probably, in fact, in fact only a second or two. And this gave them a 15% increase in their lead rate and an, a 30, uh, sorry, an 8% increase in sales. Bridesmaid dress retailer Revelry launched its e-commerce site on an updated version of its e-com platform with just smaller images. Site loaded 43% faster and their conversion was up 30%. And fashion retailer Misguided, who probably a lot of us know, uh, removed something called Bizarre Voice, which is uh, like a kind of a plugin that pulls together user-generated content, took that off and it improved their page load time by four seconds. That increased their revenue by 26%. So imagine increasing your revenue by 25% by doing one thing. You know, it's, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. And um, I've had clients in the past where I've, Ask them, um, you know, I've said, okay, I think we can increase your, you know, or decrease your page load time from, it was pretty bad, it's like eight seconds. And I said to about five, and this is going to cost about three grand. And they were like, mm, no, thank you. That's really expensive. And I was like going away and I was like, why aren't they doing this? And I came back to them and I was like, I think I can add about 30 grand onto your business uh, per year and it will cost three grand. And they were like, well, yeah, of course. And it's like, okay, well, <laughs> These are the same thing. You know, I'd obviously explained it badly, but yeah. that's why um, it's so important, I think, to users and, and businesses. And like, let's just build on that because many clients, whether you be on a WordPress or a Shopify or any of those platforms out there, will go along the line of adding apps for extra functionality and everything else. But they're trying to have their cake and eat it, right? They want all the functionality. So great example with Misguided. They've added this bizarre voice for Android visitors because they think it's going to help user experience and everything else. But actually, 
it's helped over here, but it's it's a bit like a game of whack-a-mole. It's now caused a problem over here. What is your recommendations to people when it comes to adding lots of functionality? Is it always just get a business case? Uh, the amount of people I talk to that have gone, oh, well, I was down the pub last night and someone mentioned that they use this app. Can we try it? And you're like, yes, but have you thought of the implications it might have to other metrics that you're trying to satisfy? Yeah, so it's all functionality does come with some kind of cost, whether it's uh, user experience complexity or like we're talking about performance now. And I think this is the pros and cons of various platforms. So Shopify, you know, is is one of the leading e-com platforms for a reason. It's really quick to get set up. Um, if you start going to the extreme other end, though, which is you need lots of tied in functionality with any system where you're using extensions, add-on plugins, it can be difficult because they all operate in their own kind of silo. So, you know, you've got three plugins and they all work separately. You can have two and three or one and three or just two. If you really want lots of complicated functionality, then sometimes it's it's normally a big step up in budget, but that's when you start looking at bespoke builds um, to, to tie these things together. Otherwise, you know, like with any platform, any system you're on, you do have to make a decision. And my advice would be, you know, listen to your developers and test things before you put them live. You know, you can test how it's going to impact your performance before you put it live. And then, you know, do a test on your revenue on your bottom line. So, if you know, like misguided saying, well, you know, what, apart from the bottom line impact it's having, how is, say, Bizarre Voice helping our marketing? And is it driving new traffic to us? Does that outweigh short long-term the the extra conversion we've got so it's a really difficult complicated question but yeah i i've experienced that as well which is you you certainly shouldn't just be like oh yeah we want our site to do this whack this on whack this on because you will yeah. get yourself into debt i mean i like the idea of a bit of an app audit where you just essentially have your apps and you say okay we need to look at page speed as a metric as a whole let's go through our apps which one is absolutely critical and we can't live without which one could we try living without? Well, let's disable it for a week. Let's have a look at impact and revenue. Good God, it's gone through the roof or actually very little difference. Therefore, let's turn it back on. And let's try it with something else. Uh, again, something that many retailers should look at because these marginal gains are which make all the difference, right? They soon compound. And before you know it, you've gone from a 2% conversion to a 4% conversion or whatever. That could be a massive impact to the bottom line. So certainly one to pick up. Now, building on the topic we've just discussed, as you know and would have seen, the web has been awash with chat around Core Web Vitals, right? And every man and his dog wants to know about Core Web Vitals. Just for those that perhaps are, are new to the concept, and if you are new to it, I'd ask where have you been the last however long, but perhaps you haven't heard of it. Mike, let's just give a quick overview of what Core Web Vitals is, and then we'll dig in in a bit more detail. Sure. So Core Web Vitals are three metrics that Google has put forward to measure user experience, okay? The three metrics are LCP, which stands for largest contentful paint. That's a speed metric, like a page speed metric. And it's an indicator of what I mentioned earlier, which is perceived load speed. So it's, it's basically when most of the page is loaded for the user. And they give us like a traffic light system for if it's good, if, it's, so if it needs improvement or if it's bad. Uh, the second metric is FID, which is first input delay. And basically, it just measures interactivity. So it's the 
is the delay in milliseconds before a site becomes interactive. And again, we've got this traffic light system of if it's less than 100 milliseconds, that's great. Um, if it's more than 300 milliseconds, it's bad. It needs improvement. And lastly, there's one called cumulative layout shift. These all have really kind of complicated sounding names, but they're all they're all things you'll be familiar with. So cumulative layout shift measures when a page loads, and I'm, I'm sure we've all experienced this, when things jump around as it's loading. So, the, you know, the, the big culprits of this are always like the um, see what this celebrity looks like now slideshow type thing. And then you go to click next and then it jumps down and you've clicked on an ad, that kind of thing. Um, so Google don't want your page to jump around. Now, what's special about these three metrics is that they can be applied to any website. There's no kind of special case where, oh, in this situation, it doesn't matter if CLS is high or if perceived page speed is high. And that's a really difficult thing to do when you think about it. If you try and think of any other metric to measure user experience that can be applied to any type of website, whether it's e-com or Wikipedia, that's a very hard thing to do. So they're very interesting metrics in that point of view. And yeah, you've got Google gives you two different ways to measure them as well, which I think we won't get into that right now. But there are tools out there that you can literally measure them on any site. Because the other the other difficult thing about um, kind of web performance stuff is actually how you what tools you use to go about measuring it. Um, and again, in the past, we've had clients saying, well, we've run this report from this tool and it says it's good. And then this one says it's bad. And they're all measuring in slightly different ways. And they're measuring maybe from different places in the world as well, which all has its impact. So yeah, Core Web Vitals, very special because it covers not just page speed, it covers the whole kind of bag of performance and they can be applied anywhere. So Mark, it'd be a miss of me not to ask, what tools are you guys recommending when talking to clients around uh, where to begin when testing Core Web Vitals, whether that be on their own store or competitors' stores uh, or perhaps on a new store? Sure. So when it comes to Core Web Vitals, there's two ways to measure it. You can use what's called lab data or field data. Now, you'll only have... In your, in your Google Search Console account, you'll have access to what's called your uh, your field data. And this is data coming from real people's browsers, okay? And why this is important is it's reflective of how your actual visitors are experiencing the site because there's no objective your site has scored this, for instance, on, on largest contentful paint on PageSpeed because if you run a test from the UK on a fiber connection, you might score really well. But if all of your customers are, you know, somewhere else in the world and the internet speed is a lot slower and they run the test, you're going to score badly. And of course, you need to build your website for your audience. So it's no good doing kind of your test locally and then looking at the field data and being like, oh, actually, most of our uh, most of our customers are in this country and the web's slow, so the website's bad. So I would always start by looking at the field data because that's your actual data from your real users. And again, you can really get into the long grass and decide, okay, well, we might actually have two different versions of our website, one maybe for people in the UK or you know in Western Europe and one for where you know our users are connecting from, where the internet's slower, perhaps. Um, and that that's going to improve your improve your scores, but actually improve the experience of the user. 
the lab tests are ones that you can you can run anywhere at any time. So the the this most simple one to use is Google has what's called a PageSpeed Insights tool. That will give you your core web vital metrics. So you can just Google PageSpeed Insights. Um, things to be aware of is, as I've said, it matters where it's run from, that test. And also, if you just run it twice in a row, you may get slightly different results. You know, so nothing is kind of living in a vacuum and static why is on, that, on Mark? the web. Why, why is it that you get two different results when you run one like now and one in five minutes time? Hmm. Because, you know, you're depending how your site's set up, even if it, you know, you're sitting on your own server, it's not always going to respond. It's going to respond as quickly as it can, but there might be network traffic between where you're doing the test from and there, the site may be busier. You know, the, the internet isn't just kind of sit, you know, waiting blank for you to kind of do something. <laughs> There's lots of traffic being routed around, um, you know, and lots of systems doing fallbacks and trying to get everything as quick as you can, but it you know it it will be slight it will be slightly different every single time you know you wouldn't expect major differences unless again you've got maybe some kind of issue with the server but um it you know if you're doing those lab tests as like a as like an agency or if you're if you're if you've got developers in house what you would actually do is you would set them up to run automatically a few times a day um because then you get a fair average of what's going on. Um, if you if you haven't got the ability to do that with kind of a development team, there's tools uh, like I mentioned before on this show, like Little Warden, and Little Warden will actually monitor your site and do um, Core Web Vitals tests for you, lab tests, and it will send you email alerts on if you change threshold. So we mentioned there's that um, green, amber, red kind of threshold system that Google scores us by. So if your site on average moves from a green to a yellow or, you know, hopefully from a yellow to a green, it will send you email alerts. So that's a really good platform if you don't have kind of devs at your beck and call to, to set up that kind of monitoring. Because the only problem with the field data is while it's reflective of the user experience, there's like a month lag on that data. We're at the midpoint in the show, so I want to give you an update from our podcast sponsor, Wix. You can now customize your structured data markup on Wix sites even more than before. Here are some of the new features brought to you by the Wix SEO team. Add multiple markups to pages. Create the perfect dynamic structured data markup and apply it to all pages of the same type by adding custom markups from your favorite schema generator tools or modify templates by choosing from an extensive list of variables. Easily switch between article subtype presets in blog posts and add quick link for structured data validation in Google's rich results test tool. Plus, all this is on top of the default settings Wix automatically adds to dynamic pages like product, event, forum posts, and more. There's just so much more you can do with Wix, from understanding how bots are crawling your site with built-in bot log reports to customized URL prefixes and flat URL structures on all product and blog pages. You can also get instant indexing of your homepage on Google, while a direct partnership with Google My Business lets you manage new and existing business listings right from the Wix dashboard. Visit wix.com forward slash SEO to learn more.
So, Mark, let's say we carry out a Core Web Vitals report and we're like, okay, now we need to dive in and fix pages. When you're putting in the URL into the Google PageSpeed tools or Insights, do you just put in the home page and it does the whole site? Do you need to put in each individual page? How does it work? Yeah, so the page you put in is just going to test that page. Now, in terms of um, performance of a website, normally you can break that down by template, meaning the homepage is normally unique. If it's an e-commerce site, you've most likely got categories, maybe subcategories and product pages. So at minimum, I would test a few variations of each template of page because if there are systemic issues that you can you can fix so they're the ones that are going to have the biggest impact so if you fix an issue on a template it will be present then on all versions of that template so you've made quite a lot of gain um, that's how you're just going to discover it of course there might be outliers where someone um, has uploaded like a 10 megabyte picture on a single product or something um, and that can be picked up uh, through you know more automated monitoring but if you're running these on the spot tests you need to look at identify what the different templates are and do a range of tests on those in terms of the field data you've got as well from google search console it's super smart because it tries to group that performance by template as well so google's obviously reading your code and looking at your site and it's it's saying hey these 200 pages are very similar and we we found this issue across what we think is a template so actually the tools are pretty good uh in terms of field data to try and help you with that I, I keep talking about field data i'll give a caveat though as well you need to have um a, a fair amount of traffic to your site before you get that field data so if your site's new and you've only got 100 visitors or a few thousand visitors a month you might not have any field data because google doesn't have enough kind of averages to give you good numbers so it might be blank so you have to do lab tests mark question just in would you start with home page product page category page or a another um i'd probably start with the yeah the the templates where i'm getting the most traffic so i would guess that's going to be uh category pages in most in most cases um but i would you know in terms of what would i fix first there's no, it's not, there isn't a high cost to actually running the tests in terms of, you know, time or anything. So I'd test them all. But then in terms of what would I fix first, it would be where the greatest impact would be for the lowest cost. So anything, you know, anything really you do in terms of a site like that, you know, you're trying to make a, a business case for why you, you're going to make a change. And that normally starts with kind of how you mentioned with the plugin audit, you would do an audit of your templates and then you would have a little look and identify if you are scoring badly, try and see if you can work out why you're scoring badly and then what you think the impact will be if you fix those things and how difficult they are to fix. Because it's all well and good if you think, okay, you know, this thing, if we fix it, will have a really big impact. But we have to rewrite half the site to do it. It may not be worth it. It may be doing something that will have a smaller impact that's like one line of code and a template you have to change. Mark, where do you sit in terms of if someone's had a site built in the last six months and they listen this morning and they go and run the test and it's not scoring as they'd hoped, where do you sit in terms of, well, is that their problem? Is it the developer's problem? Like that surely is a real gray area, right? Yeah, it's really interesting. So, I mean, 
Firstly, I'd say don't worry if your site's kind of not all green. So the majority of sites I look at are kind of amber and red. That's really, really common. Um, the other thing I would say is that, as I said, technology and expectations change. So even if a site was built six months ago, it's very hard for you know a developer to say, oh, well, it's going to score like this on on um, you know on Core Web Vitals because as I said as well, it depends on the connection speed and technology of the person that's actually doing the test and the people that are using the site. So it might score really well for the developers, but not for the actual end users. And the actual technology of how we can optimize sites is always changing. You know, several years ago, we didn't have all the services like Cloudflare now offering various types of caching and CDNs. There wasn't native support in HTML for lazy loading images. You know, so a lot of this stuff didn't exist. So especially if your site's, you know, a few years old, you know, the way I would recommend all businesses view their website is that it's never finished. So the environment which your website is living in is constantly changing. You know, that's constantly evolving. So you you should be thinking of your site in the same way. So how can we keep our site up to date and meeting expectations, meeting these technological changes, not let's build a site and then don't touch it for five years. And then in five years, everyone agrees it's rubbish and then start <laughs> from scratch and build another one. You should be looking at, you know, this yeah, that uh, continual improvement. Yeah, definitely. Now, in terms of you mentioned there about caching, you mentioned there about lazy load. There are obviously a couple that that almost apply to every site. Right. And normally when you go and do an audit, you can almost guarantee that those two will be relevant in terms of improving performance. Are there any others kind of low hanging fruit that, you know, almost without looking at an audit? These are the typical things we see scripts not being minified, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that, that's a really difficult question, because. When it when it comes to improving these scores it gets i think a lot of people underestimate how how difficult this can be so it might be like okay well we just need to do caching and then it and then it gets into conversation of which kind of caching and which parts of the site and then as anyone that's been involved in development will know caching can become very tricky um, with people's you know cash like sticking or expiring the amount of times i've heard there's an issue with this website and then half an hour later i heard oh it's a caching issue um it's too many times to count and you know th so the common issues that always crop up for instance are things like uh javascript like sites being really heavy with javascript libraries and this is because you know there's lots of frameworks out there and cms systems cms's that try and do lots of things and therefore come packaged with a lot of JavaScript. So they're quite heavy. And there's a process you can go through called tree shaking, which is essentially looking at which, which JavaScript, which files are actually used by pages. And then if they're not used, stopping them loading. But again, that's a very technical process that you don't want to get wrong and can cause issues. We mentioned lazy loading. So that sounds like that's really obvious to do, right? It's got native support. Lazy loading, for those that don't know, means that you don't load the images basically until the user's scrolling down to them. So it saves that initial load time. So you think, brilliant. We implement lazy loading. And um, what you're probably going to do then is make your cumulative layout shift score worse because as you scroll with the page, it's going to kind of resize to load in images because you forgot 
apart from lazy loading, you also need to put placeholder images in because that then keeps the page structure the same when you move it so you're not ruining your cumulative layout shift score. So like you said, it's almost like sometimes whack-a-mole with these optimizations and trying to get everything to work. Yes, there's other basic things uh, like we mentioned for, you know, if you are um, you know, uploading products, making sure you're optimizing your images or making sure your CMS optimize your images for you is, is a really basic one. We mentioned that in the web performance stats website as well, how, how they, I think it's like 41%, I think we said faster just because they, they made their images smaller. But it's definitely something I would go to the developers about and you need to get a price and make a business case for it. Um, it it's, it can get quite technical is the only thing I'd say. And, but this is again, when it, when I gave that first anecdote and I said, you know, we made some changes and it was going to cost the client three grand because it was a lot of work, but it was worth that several times over in terms of revenue. So you need to, I think the most important thing business owners need to be aware of is the value of performance, which is very high and immediate. Yeah. Bang on. So in terms of website speed, Mark, I mean, for years, people have said it's a ranking factor. Is it a ranking factor? Is it not a ranking factor? Google Core Web Vital suggests that maybe performance is a ranking factor, but speed itself, is it a ranking factor? Is it not? And how can we just get this myth sorted once and for all? Yeah. So pre-Core Web Vitals, the answer was kind of like, not really. Google specifically said, you know, if there's two sites and one loads in you know, six seconds and one loads in three seconds, there's basically going to be no difference there. Of course, if you had a site that's really slow, you know, taking like 15 seconds to load, then yeah, you're going to get a problem. So they kind of used to have this fairly binary system, it seemed of if something was really bad, then you got kind of a mark against your record and, and you might find you're not ranking as well. Now they have a page experience algorithm that includes a whole bunch of things. Um, so Core Web Vitals um, is one of them, things like non-intrusive interstitials. So they don't want people whacking up massive, hard to close pop-ups over the content. And there's several things that go into, into that kind of algorithm of page experience. Yes, Web Core Vitals is one. And one part of Web Core Vitals is this perceived loading speed, this largest contentful paint. Now, when I talk to clients about this, I actually tend not to talk too much about SEO because, you know, as we've just been saying, this, um, this perceived loading speed has an impact on bottom line that's quite measurable and really important. So I treat the fact that, hey, we might rank better almost as a bonus, you know. Um, so it is a ranking factor. But again, if we, if we look, if we, think about just ranking we only need to be better than our competitors right you know you don't need to run faster than a lion you just need to run faster than the other person it's, that's pretty much what you can say in terms of that as an as a as a ranking thing but it stands on its own in terms of the conversion rate and bottom line so that's why i would focus heavily on it and then you've got this argument about well it kind of passively affects things or it affects things indirectly because if people like your website they're more likely to share it, link to it, do all the good stuff that you want people to do on a site. Um, so yeah, performance is one area, especially if your competitors aren't that you can that you can stand out. You know, it's it's one of the reasons why, even though lots of people complain about Amazon and 
tax and things like that, they still use it because it's so convenient and so fast. Yeah. Mark, last question for today. Really keen to find out from yourself. What are the three practical things website owners should take from today regarding page speed and experience moving forwards? Yeah. So the, the first is if you haven't, if you haven't done it, or if you don't have one, make a Google search console account. So Google search console is your kind of diagnostic dashboard. It's your direct line to Google. It's free and look at your field data. So this is the actual people, you know, if you're seeing lots of red on there, then it is definitely worth a discussion uh, with someone to, to work out what you can do. Um, the simplest thing and the thing that I still see is what we mentioned about image size. So we still see loads of e-com sites uploading these whacking great images that aren't optimized. You know, you can compress images losslessly really well nowadays. So you don't, you, the user can't see that there's any quality difference, but you can massively reduce file size, you know, and these should be optimized for different devices as well. Um, for different, you know, so you're not loading in whacking great images for mobile. Um, and if you're not on one looking at, a CDN, so a content distribution network, uh, something like Cloudflare or similar can really, really help you. So that's going to make sure your assets are served as locally as possible to visitors. Um, you can, with especially with paid versions of Cloudflare, you can do some really good stuff with caching, which means that um, your again your all well all of your performance metrics should improve in terms of we're not having to query databases everything's just there and it's ready um and it, it's fairly easy to set up um so yeah check google search console <laughs> really make sure go back to basics you've got your image size uh gain sorted and if you're not on one look at cdn services I hope you enjoyed that recording of Nathan and myself and found it useful. If you want to get involved in these, we do them every couple of weeks on LinkedIn Live. So you can actually join in and ask questions and we'll try and do them as we go. Or you can submit questions early. You can add me on LinkedIn, Mark Williams Cook, if you do want to get involved. Apart from that, I will, of course, be back in another one week's time, which will take us into September. So it'll be Monday, the 6th of September, we'll be back. I hope you tune in. If you are enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend and I hope you have a brilliant week.